Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel and Adam for the 15th episode of Horror Express. And tonight we're talking about Bram Stoker's Dracula, a 1992 film directed by Francis Ford Coppola and starring Gary Oldman. It's, um, I don't know, this is one that uh, I saw in the theater when it came out, so I have uh, uh, very crystal strong feelings about it, I think, even to this day. Uh, I, I imagine a lot of other people on the podcast have strong feelings about it. I don't know if I need to give an overview of it, but I'll just say that it's 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 an interesting movie because it's a fairly faithful retelling of Dracula, with the exception of the addition of this massive love subplot <laughs> that drastically changes the story, but at times actually ties and connects to things that happen in the book in really like cle- I would say clever ways, maybe. Uh, and one of the criticisms that it sometimes get is that the the love story detracts from the horror. Um, but one of the praises that it often gets is it just looks like a magnificent movie. It's got, you know, incredible antique style visuals, like the special effects in it uh, are all antiquated special effects. They don't use anything to do with computers or anything like that. And there's a lot of stuff that goes back to the very early days of cinema and it just has a, a you know this this lush soundtrack and a I don't know very uh, it's a very sensual take overall on Dracula um, and so and, you know and if people don't know the story of Dracula you know that I I, I I can't imagine I have to reiterate that so so why don't I get uh, both of your opinions on the movie before we get into a discussion because I I know Joel I, I get a sense that you have positive feelings towards it I don't know what Adam's feelings are about the movie. Um, so why don't we start with Adam? Cause that seems to be where we usually begin. All right. Yeah. I, I have, I once like you, I haven't seen this since it was back in the mm-hmm. theater. So it's been a long time, but it is a movie that's stuck in my head and it's, it's interesting. Cause on the one hand, there's a lot I do love about this movie as someone that likes the book a lot, but it's, it's tricky. Cause it's the things that frustrate me about this movie frustrate me a lot, but everything else I love about this movie. So my opinion is very complicated. I think okay. I think I enjoyed it more this time because at least this time I went in able to yeah. kind of set my frustrations to the side and go, okay, I know this is going to be there. I'm just going to try and take the movie for what it is. And pretty much all the criticisms I have still stand, but it is a it is a fantastic work as far as a piece of art i mean it is any complaints i make tonight are not trying to talk people out of seeing this movie they're just kind of my criticisms here and there i think i think this is this is definitely worth watching i am putting in a whole slot for adam's frustrations with the movie because i feel like that will be its own (laughs) its own discussion Uh, so joel how about you well we're gonna put some of my frustrations with the movie in that slot too because i think because i don't uh, the fr- I do want to address the frustrations a little bit because overall I'm completely spellbound by this movie. It, it's <laughs> I, I watched this way too young. I was like seven the first time I saw this, and I have watched it this time and time again. I own it and I, I'm completely in love with it. I actually watched this before I read the book because not a lot of seven year olds read Dracula. But I still read that as a young man. You were a slacker, actually... Joel. <laughs> you should have read know, it before right? you went in. <laughs> Uh, but I did read that as a young man. Uh, I actually read it while I was on a job, uh, which is interesting. So uh, I might get into that later. But the the point is, I compared that to this movie as like the high point of Dracula because that was the yeah. my most previous experience. And I agree with you, Brendan, that 
I think the love story is tied into it in a way that almost makes the novel make more sense in certain places. And I, I don't feel it's a distraction. I think that there's there's at least since the 1950s been a powerful sense of like romance and like forbidden eroticism to Dracula that this movie just explodes onto the screen and oh it's so cool. However, agreeing with Adam here, the things that are frustrating about it stand out powerfully against that contrast. It's it's almost a masterpiece. Why do we and talk? The flaws stand out strongly against that backdrop. So that's that's my hot take on so it. So I think our first discussion then should be about the frustrations that you guys have with it. Um, and I'll just give my, my reaction to the film and my setup for it is uh, I was a fan of the movie before it came out because I I was a Ravenloft GM at that time. I I had uh, I I had just I I'd probably like a year or so before this was announced I think is when I had read Dracula and and I was you know really into gothic horror in general and into classic horror and watching all those old you know Dracula films and stuff like that and so I saw this t-shirt with uh which you don't even see this image anymore but there's there was like a gargoyle version of the Dracula face and it said love never dies and I was like you know what is that and so I bought the t-shirt so I had the t-shirt before the movie even came out. And then I found out, oh, it just it just said Love Never Dies and Bram Stoker's Dracula on the back. And I had no idea that it was going to be a movie. And so then, you know, then it was soon announced that Dra- that Coppola was making Dracula. And like I was like, "Oh my god, Francis Ford Coppola is making the next like that like at the time, that was an amazing thought that that the guy that made The Godfather was going to make Dracula." Um and, and especially growing up the way I did where The Godfather was something that I watched and I loved. And so when uh, when I went to see Dracula, I went to see it with my uncle. And, and I loved it. I was in love with the movie from the beginning to the end. And I think what sold me on it was the score. That music is so effective. And then the visuals and the costumes. And granted, you know, there, there were I was still kind of a an annoying fanboy. So there were these points in the movie where it clearly deviates from the story. But this was one film where I accepted most of them because I it just the overall experience that it created was was um, inebriating. It was just it, it was this it was this film that made me feel like I had never felt at a movie before, and so that was the sort of the the, the impact it had on me. Um, that said, there are certainly things worth quibbling about with this movie. Um, I, I have a feeling I know at least one of them is going to be, but I want to get. Uh, we to all know. Pastor. We all know what that yeah. one is. Well, well, why don't you say? Why don't you say it just to just so we can see if we're all on the same page? Okay. Right. I actually do want to bring. I want to bring up the Keanu in the room. Okay. Uh, okay. Because he does read his way into this, and here here's my take on it. Because I rewatched this today, and I took all day to watch it. Really, I, really I have a big see. fat note on this too, so I'm curious what you're. All right, so here, here's my note from this. He's not as bad as I remember, unless he's talking. <laughs> okay, because as a physical actor and as a presence, his expressions are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one yeah. scene where he's like being devoured by vampires, and he's like screaming in terror and frustration. That's really good. A lot of good takes. His physical acting is on point. It's only when he talks and Budapest comes out of his stupid Keanu yeah. mouth that yeah. I'm like, okay, wait. <laughs> it's you know what it is the point where his performance starts to go south for me. I pinpointed it. It's that scene where he says 
that he has seen many strange things in Transylvania. Bloody wolves chasing me through some blue inferno. Blue that line, inferno. that that line is okay. where everything just starts to catastrophically collapse with the performance. Yeah. That's that's one of the notable scenes. The other one is after he's uh, married to Mina and they're talking to Van Helsing, yeah, and he's I like, "I know where the bastard lives, yeah. that's Ibby. And yeah. like he's across the seat, like shot reverse shot from Sir Anthony Hopkins, yeah. and he's just so well, dwarfed. It's here's so here's what's very interesting here's... about that. He, Winona Ryder, and Anthony Hopkins all arguably have very bad accents in this movie. Mm-hmm. But Keanu yes. is the one that real like I can. Winona There's... Ryder doesn't bother me in this film. I actually like her in this movie. Anthony Hopkins, I look at this movie. Yeah, the, the 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 Anthony Hopkins accent is not on point, but the performance is still like he still has a presence and he still works. But Keanu still feels like you know he belongs in Bill and Ted in this movie. Well, I say that's I think that's that's an issue because it's not a great performance by any means but i yeah. think i think at the time it got hit even harder than it would have been because because you know jonathan harker is in this version he's he's a fairly mild character anyway yeah. so it's like i feel like if he hadn't done the bill and ted movies people still might have been critical but it wouldn't have become this I agree. huge thing everyone because he, i mean at that time period that's all he was to people yeah. he was bill he was yeah. yeah, which one was he was uh, Bill? He was, yeah, he was, he was Bill. He was and Ted. Was... He was he was Ted. He was Ted. Are you sure? Oh, okay. I, I, let me let me I'm look it up. Sure. I thought Theodore S. Logan was Alex Winter's line. Right? Theodore S. Logan. Let me let, okay. Let me check. Okay. It's easy to get them. They're ba- they're yeah, one character right, essentially. Yeah. So they're it's exactly not, one character. Yeah, they're they're basically yeah, one I character. Know, I know. Okay. Well, I don't apologize for being wrong, but I would. But yeah, my point being that he was he was Bill and or Ted and and so it, he was Ted. Made, I just looked it up. He was really, Ted. It really drew attention because you that was all you were thinking about yeah. every time he came on screen. And so, you know, I I, I actually didn't mind his performance as much this time. I'm not going to give it any compliments, but yeah, I, I would I would generally really agree that overall I had a less negative reaction to him this time around, um, mm-hmm. and I I think that. I think that you're onto something because I feel like when he says "blue inferno," that when he, the way he says "inferno," I immediately can can draw a connection between that and to Bill and Ted. And if Bill and Ted didn't exist, I might just think, "Well, that's weird." But it's just not I mean? a good accent. Yeah, which is yeah, you can do a bad accent and still think of a decent performance, but it's just the combination of the bad accent and the the, the weight, the baggage that he had. No. The, no, I, it's too hard. I, so my big fat note was Keanu's acting is so bad. You want Mina to end up with Dracula? That is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, as a kid, I kind of rooted for Dracula yeah. a lot more. And his accent is much better, wouldn't you say? Like the. Oh you, my god. Yeah. Gary Oldman is a when, tour of force. When, when I first saw this I movie, I remember I had the, remember I had the T-shirt right, and so I remember I went back, I went to I was in high school and I was I went to the the boys' room and I'm going to the bathroom and this kid that I knew walks in and he was kind of like a cooler kid than me. He was higher up on the social hierarchy, mm-hmm. but he saw this, the shirt and he's like, Hey, you, you saw that movie Dracula. And he's like, I thought it was really cool when he said, I am Dracula, Dracula. I've never heard anybody say it that way before. And so like that, that always stuck with me is like the, that the impact his performance, even on this guy, you know what I mean? Who probably <laughs> wasn't that interested in, uh, in Dracula movies like I was, it still had that kind of resonance with him. Um, Enough that he brought it up in the boys' room with me because I was wearing the shirt. But um, 
but yeah, so uh, yeah, I don't know any 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 other frustrations or was it just the Keanu performance? Because Adam, that you seem like you had a few. frustration I was going to address. Oh, okay. Like, and it was just so everyone knows that, so I was like, I yeah. wasn't even going to get <laughs> okay. into that one. Yeah, I, I don't think I, to be coy about that one. I I feel like there was a some character choices that are a little weird. Um, like I, I I like Sir Anthony Hopkins a lot as Van Helsing, but there's a lot of moments where he delivers his lines with this like levity and comedy that's really weird uh and it, it makes it's an uneven kind of thing i think it, i think too uh-huh. putting it in time perspective again he was coming right off playing hannibal lecter in silence of the lambs yeah. and i think i think i mean he was just about it as hammy he, it was like maximum hammy hopkins yeah. you know yeah. at this time period so i think that's enough that's the thing about this movie it's so of its time i mean you've got yeah. winona Ryder in there <laughs> you've got anthony hopkins at the height of his you know, time period. It's vampire stuff was really, really big at that time. The yeah. vampire role playing game came out around this time too. Oh, and right. yeah, it is so nineteen ninety one or two. I forget which one. Two, I think. Ninety two. I don't. I don't have the same reaction that you do, Joel. But I do understand your reaction because I feel like that stuff was in the air at that time. So when I see it, it almost goes over my head. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, like there was this thing that Anthony Hopp. He was basically the source of most of the humor in the movie. And it was happening maybe once every 20 or 30 minutes, it seemed, right? It was it, mm-hmm. maybe even more than that. But it was basically staggered out so that you had this very serious movie. But then every once in a while, he would just deliver this line that you knew. If you were in the yeah. theater watching it, it made sense because that's the line when everybody laughs. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was like a – it played to the collective experience, but it plays differently on a TV screen after you're not watching it in the movies anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so – I, I don't know, but but I, I I I can definitely get that criticism, and I think uh, I think it definitely it definitely has a it def, there's a tone thing going on in the movie uh, for sure with that with the uh, I am struggling to remember if there are other sources of humor. I feel like they were all pretty much on Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> maybe maybe Renfield. Some of the stuff with him was a yeah, little bit Renfield's funny. Yeah, Renfield's definitely. Yeah, Tom Waits' um, performance in that. And, and some of the stuff with more uh, um, Quincy Morris was a little funny too. I think you know there was there were yeah, Quincy, yeah like there, with there Lucy and the Bowie knife. There's also uh, the stuff between Lucy and Nina too, where they're kind of got their you know little gossipy jokes going on at times when they're that they're talking too. So there's there's humor there as well. But and the thing is, the humor in the scenes with Lucy kind of work more for me because it's playing. There's a theme in the film of like Dracula coming in and basically bursting open all this repression that the females. Sorry about that, guys. That all the females have, you know, sexually and socially and all this stuff. Oh yeah, and, and yeah, so that, I, that that all works. Um, but with with Hopkins, it's sort of more out of left field. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I don't. know. What other frustrations do we have with the movie? I. What, part part of where my frustration comes from it's the, you think about small differences like I I nitpick on the differences of the book so much more with this than something like you know the horror of Dracula which we already reviewed the Hammer version because the Hammer version changes so much that it's just it's easy to take as its yeah. own thing whereas with this I feel like they decided to turn it into a love story and they didn't change enough I felt like okay. if they were because so many things just don't it's like okay he finds out his love is living in england and he's gonna go there so he shows up in england and i'm gonna go after lucy yeah i think i'm gonna go after lucy first i'm gonna go after her for a while and notice this time actually lucy was about to join the aristocracy importantly 
And I think that what we're actually seeing there is a critique of that, where like there is something monstrous about that social construct coming in and kind of taking the the innocence of this girl and making her monstrous. So I think there might have been something deeper going on there. Uh, even like, I, I think I, the movie recontextualized. That. I was contemplating that. I think that is one point where the motivation Dracula has for what he's doing with Lucy doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, I feel like in other areas though, it kind of adds to it. Like it makes Mina's characters are kind of make a lot of sense in some ways. Do you know what I mean? But I don't know because I mean I, I feel like too because Mina, I mean she doesn't get to do any of the cool things she did in the book for one thing. Yeah, that, that's a complaint. They, they kind of make her into just she's just a love interest you know i mean in the in the book she is literally the person that makes the book you're reading because you know the book yeah. is all made up it's not like a typical novel it's all letters and journal yeah. entries and log entries and newspaper clippings and mina is the one who goes out and researches everything and gathers everything and puts this all together it's yeah. like she is working at hunting dracula better than anybody but uh yeah, she's praised in the book by the male characters for being like essential to the quest of anguish yeah. and even when yeah. she's like turning into a vampire on the train to beat his ship it's her figuring stuff out and giving them clues that's like allowing them to win so yeah that does suck that they kind of neutered that part of her character on the but, other hand she does literally beat dracula in the end so there is well, something to be yeah. said about that yeah i mean there, there is that still so that they they, they, they do give her something but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, I feel like the character of Dracula too. It's like, you know, the early, cause I mean, I believe Coppola was a fan of the novel, which I think really, he was a through. massive fan. That was a big yeah. thing that motivated him and, to take the, the but, movie. But I feel like, I feel like he was given a screenplay with the love interest thing, but at the same time, he still wanted to do the real Dracula thing. Cause they worked so hard at making Dracula completely monstrous for the first half of this movie. You know, I mean, you know, it's not like he's just feeding on people. He's going and getting babies and yeah. feeding them to his wives and stuff. I mean, they to, to take the, the romance level seriously, it's like I kind of have to suspend that. It's like the the, char- oh, the guy who shows up to Mina, it's like this isn't the same character oh. I've been watching. for. See, I have the opposite years. reaction to that. I feel like I'm glad because I feel like if you don't have that monstrous element to him, then uh-huh. you start getting into Twilight territory. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, I don't want to yeah, get rid yeah. of it, but I'm just saying, I don't feel, <laughs> I feel like the movie, I don't want to get rid of the monstrous part, but I just feel like the movie is too abrupt to change this romance thing, and it never really addresses, you have like the one point with Mina, it's like, oh, you killed Lucy when she realized, and then 10 seconds later, she's just smooching him, and it's just like, you know, well, or, or drinking his blood, really, not smooching, but, uh, and it's just like, yeah, it's like, okay, you... It's like it, it well, just, she does. She doesn't she, care. In her it defense, makes, she does say, "God like forgive me for love." She does say, "I love you." God forgive me for loving you. After that, there is a little bit yeah. more. You know, that's that, that's the thing. Adam. This is a Romeo and Juliet moment where it doesn't really make sense on any rational level, but you can still see that. Okay, yeah, a human being might actually do this. Oh, I I agree. A human being might do it, but it's just I just don't have any. I mean, <laughs> if Adam doesn't buy the character, he doesn't buy the character. For me, it it works. I think because it's a it's fundamentally it's almost like a religious movie. There's like a redemption arc going on in the film, and it, their their what love the story. Redemption? What did what did what was Dracula's redemption? He killed Lucy and was going to kill Mina. <laughs> well, it's it. So There's, so I feel like they go for a redemption at the end. That's the other thing. It's like oh, you know, you see the. You know the light comes. Oh, because down. it's what it's not just do? it's not just Dracula who needs to be redeemed. It's it's the other people too in the story. That's why von Helsing's line about we become God's madmen 
is because remember von helsing uh, not von helsing hopkins plays the priest at the start of the movie who tells yeah. him that she's do that her soul is damned and so that's the thing that catapults the the whole thing is him you know this this warrior comes back from the battlefield and the first thing the priest says to him is that her soul is condemned to hell or something like this and i think that uh i think that it wasn't you know, and we'll probably get into this more later if I, if we get into strange theory territory. But I feel like, you know, why don't we do that now? The because mm-hmm. this is a movie about reincarnation, right? And there's there's yeah. it's it's become a trope, but I think this was one of the early ones. I, I there might have been a made for TV movie or something that did it before this. And I think um, and Ravenloft definitely did it before this with Tatiana and Strahd, and she's being reincarnated. So I don't mm-hmm. know where the genesis for this mina being I really taken from the mummy i think that's where they okay got they from. got it from the mummy so <laughs> yeah um but wherever wherever it comes from they're putting it into the dracula story but here's the thing she we know that the that mina is being reincarnated but it's also seems to me that von helsing is being reincarnated in this story and that 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 he like that that his actions are also important to the Okay, you know what I'm that's saying? Uh, that's an interesting point. I, I I didn't I didn't know. I mean, I, I obviously I recognized he was the priest at the beginning, but I didn't really think about it from a reincarnation angle. Well, because there. so that's uh because what because like if it's if they're choosing Winona Ryder to play the actress who's reincarnated, right? Why would you would assume that that choosing Anthony Hopkins to play that priest has some purpose? Mm. But then I thought about it even further. And I'm like, well, but the priest said she's condemned to hell. So maybe uh-huh. they're not reincarnated because how can a condemned soul reincarnate, right? So maybe maybe well, this I is purgatory. You, I guess you hell. go with a standpoint that you don't ascend. To, if you don't ascend to heaven, you don't you reincarnate like that. You could go with that viewpoint, you know. Yeah, maybe kind of maybe a, it's a gnostic viewpoint. If you don't ascend, you just keep keep coming back here again. Yeah, or they could be well, in purgatory. Well, and it could just be that the version of hell she's sent to is, you know, 400 years in the future when love for life is a literal monster. <laughs> yeah. well, and But that's the thing. And maybe that's why the movie is so surreal. Maybe it's meant that's why it's so dreamy and, you know, otherworldly looking because we're not. Well, actually... there are, there's that yeah. weird moment when they're in the theater together and like they have that shadow play, which is just a reenactment of the thing yeah. that we saw at the end of the movie and what was a. In, 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 even in that scene, it's in this weird shadow play kind of stylized way. Uh-huh. So you have this moment where the movie is kind of like messing with your perception of time, and I think that's supposed to be that way. You know? But it's it's interesting actually. Just this isn't really a complaint at all. Just a, a funny comparison to the book. You know, it's like how how hellish the landscape is. You know, whenever they're in in Romania, and it's like the book. The book makes a point of, oh, how lovely this landscape is. And Mina's Mina's (laughs) like, oh, I wish we weren't on this urgent mission and could just enjoy the countryside. (laughs) But but that's like a movie. Uh, I think that's like a movie convention that just sort of so firmly rooted. I like it. I like it. It's not in any way a complaint. The look of this movie is fantastic. So I don't, I don't. And once again, as you said, it uses a lot of old movie techniques. Just the look of it is like a silent movie kind of look. Even though it's in really super well, like color. the whole shadow thing seems to be kind of like a, like I feel like that's like pointing to Nosferatu the um, mm. the things that happen with the shadows and a lot of that stuff. Um, yeah. I had, I had a note though that I think kind of gets at something that you're talking about here. I said that the movie works like on an emotional level, I think, rather than a logical one. So mm. like you know, like I think yeah. that's uh, yeah, I agree. So like I think if you know, so for me, it's like it's an emotionally satisfying movie. 
uh, and it's one that like like a lot of the religious things connect emotionally, a lot of the romantic things connect emotionally. But you can't, you know, they're harder to justify intellectually because they. I are, know, yeah. and I, I want to repeat something I said at the top. I really like this movie. It's just that you know, it's just when you discuss something, you kind of bring up all no, the and things I'm, that. that and I'm of, not pushing so like, back. By I, the I way, I want to be on the level. Let's start on the page that this is a great movie, and I fully recommend it. I'm just gonna I'm, pick at it a bit. I'm not. Like, I'm not pushing back on the criticisms because I think they're your honest reactions to the film. Yeah. So I was just, you know, but I'm just, uh, but I thought that that point kind of got a reason for that dividing line where some of the criticisms you might, you know, I agree you, yeah. with everything you're saying yeah. is my point. I agree. It is emotionally <laughs> like if you just, if you just go with the flow of the, you know, the, the imagery mm. and the acting and everything. Yeah. This movie totally works. There's, you can, you can set everything aside, but, but, uh, but I would agree that there, you know, there's a logic that I think the one that really bugs me the most is the uh is the lucy one that's the one that i was really trying to think i was trying to crack at this time where i was like well, wait why is he going after lucy because because like you say in the book it's fine because he's he not no romantically interest in interested mina. in mina's mina. just this mina yeah. goes after he goes after mina in the book because mina's doing all that research yeah. about him and he finds out so he goes after her not because he loves her but because she's a threat to him but then here it's kind of like, well, wait, why is he? And again, I guess there's no reason for him not to target her. She's a she's an attractive woman, and he clearly, you know, there's a sexual element of his feeding habit, mm-hmm. judging from the the brides and all that. But um, you know, and 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 when it, and when we first see him with Lucy, he's literally like having sex with her in beast form. So, you know, like maybe he just wants to get that out of his system before he, you know, (laughs) but I couldn't come up with a good reason for. I've got a good reason. I mean, like he's still a a freaky monster thing at that point. He needs fresh blood to regenerate all the way to a sexy prince form. He's not on the way there. It just seems, it just seems like going after your love interest's best friend. Like I said, I agree with that he needs blood, but you're, you're in London. There's, there's a whole lot of blood. The pick from <laughs> the only thing that I could even think of was well maybe he mistook her for Mina because he's only seen the picture you know what I mean and like he kind of knows where the address is so he goes there and he but then that's comedic that's like so it doesn't quite yeah. work as well so um, but I did want to comment on the beast mounting scene because we had the whole howling episode we did and we were talking about the the wolf mm. sex and that and this movie you get a Dracula who is very werewolf-like in some of the scenes. He's also very bat-like and rat-like. He has a variety of forms that he takes. They really yeah. run the gamut here. But that scene, I feel like that is a direct commentary or direct response to the howling, where Francis Ford Coppola is saying, wait a second, that's revolting, but if you make one of them not transform into a wolf, then, it, then it remains sexy. I think like that was his, that was his <laughs> attempt to, to oh, do think- the howling. I think I think also he's he's replying to the hammer version where Van Helsing goes, Oh, let's just admit that vampires turn into <laughs> yeah. other things. They're like, I'm gonna have a vampire that turns into <laughs> everything. everything. Take that. <laughs> but um But yeah, so um uh what did you guys think of uh of Renfield in this movie? Because it's an it's a it's a you know, is it Tom Waits plays him, right? So it's like a it's a different oh, yeah. choice and he gets a lot of he gets a I, I feel like a lot of a lot of Dracula movies just cut Renfield out because he's like a whole it's a whole other thing that you have to deal with and the running time kind of gets in the way. You see, I was, I was at the height of my Tom Waits fandom at this point, so you know Tom Waits was going to play Renfield. That was like that was one of the selling points of this movie for me. Not that there weren't other ones, but yeah. And and when you when you saw him, 
what did you, how did it work for you did it work or, or was it oh, like, yeah. wait that's tom waits it's, it's... i can't get over it being tom waits so i know well i know there is that but i don't know i enjoyed it i mean i agree tom waits is very tom waits yeah that, that wasn't a problem I, for me i feel like now tom waits has become renfield for me do you know what i mean like i feel like <laughs> the performance is strong enough in hindsight like like when it happened at the time i remember my uncle was like that's tom waits and that kind of disrupted my sense of renfield but watching it today i was like you know the, the, he's renfield like that 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 works yeah. and he's and he's pretty good in the role like it it all you know he's making me laugh when he needs to make me laugh and he i don't know he's he, He's chilling. He's pathetic. Yeah. He kind of hits all the notes you the need to as as Renfield, I think. The scene with with, with the cat when he asks for the yeah. kitten, you know that that was that was perfectly done. So um, yeah, so yeah I, I, is, I, I, like... I, I I will say a minor one. It's like Renfield gets. I mean, not like Renfield is that major a part in the book, but it's like he doesn't really. I know. I feel like I feel like he's almost a little superfluous. Yeah. as far as his, his role in the movie but it's entertaining so whatever i think I'll, i think I don't, I, don't, I don't i don't want it cut out i think uh well so this movie is not a tight film uh you know it's two yeah. and, two hours and seven minutes so it doesn't have so i kind of grade it differently in terms of efficiency but i was mm -hmm. thinking about that because a lot of people do say the renfield stuff is uh, unessential to the film yeah, i think the it's, it's, it's entertaining so it doesn't yeah. bother me just uh, just a kind of a, a mental note I think one purpose it serves, though, is it kind of helps connect you to Doctor Seward's asylum in a way that might true, be some, might be true, important. True, you're right. Because when because right. when that scene happens later, where Mina is attacked there, that would feel really disconnected from the landscape. I feel like if you didn't if have Seward just mentioned. showed up, hey, let's yeah. go hang out in this asylum. So yeah, yeah, yeah it does serve some purpose. But Joel, <laughs> did you have any strong feelings on uh, on Renfield in this? Or I, it, he's a weird impact, isn't he? Because, like, he, he is a really good performance. And, like, visually, he's got, like, that straight jacket they're always doing weird stuff with. And, <laughs> and like, the, the setting of the Insane Asylum is really, like, there's always, like, there's a one scene where there's a water cascading down everything. So it's very memorable. But functionally, it's just a place that they go sometimes. It doesn't push the story forward and mm -hmm. resolve any plot points. It's strange as something that's, like, functionally a cul-de-sac that's still so integral to the movie so it's it's i'm with adam on this one where i wouldn't cut this for the world but yeah. i don't know if i could have justified putting it in the first place <laughs> yeah well i think i think wanted to keep in mind is that coppola and tom waits are really good friends and he wanted okay. his friend in the movie too so mm -hmm. there's okay. there's that as well <laughs> great performance by tom waits too uh yeah. really because I, I I was a kid when I saw this the first time, and like for me this is like the iconic first Tom Waits role. So like I I I didn't have that moment where I was like, oh, it's just Tom Waits. No, I I wasn't cynical about it. I was completely like, this is Renfield. This is that guy. So I've always I've always really admired the performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, uh, I, this discussion is actually so on fire that I'm struggling to get through <laughs> any of my notes here. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I, no, no, no. It's well, good. It's good. We can pause and let you read your notes. No, 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 no. No, here's the thing. I think this is one of these movies that had a culture, a big cultural impact. So we've all had a lot of time to think about, you know, yeah. and digest it and all this stuff. It's, um, it, it, I mean, it's impressive too how I, I haven't seen this in close to thirty years when I do the depressing math, but. Yeah, I still very fresh in my mind watching it again. I was like, yeah, I remember this. I remember this. I mean, it, it's it 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 did get I, into my brain the first time I watched it. I well, and 
Oh, go ahead. Like you remember it like you remember an exceptionally vivid dream. It's it, yes. it plays that way, you know. Yeah, I saw it again yeah. about ten years ago on DVD. I got a DVD. I was telling Joel about this. I got a DVD version of it at Walmart, and uh, and had the it had a, a director's commentary with Coppola. Now, number one, the color of the film looked <laughs> awful in this version because the transfer was bad. Hmm. Which really, with a movie like this, that really bothered me. Normally, it wouldn't. But oh, you had a bad transfer. Yeah, this That's... movie that was like just it takes so much away from the film but also the director's commentary i don't know what happened but francis ford coppola was not happy during the commentary and he was just trashing the film so a lot of the criticisms that i you know have pointed out about the movie actually come from coppola himself like the big one was the the love story detracting from the horror of the film yeah that's Um, kind of what i was saying though i feel like i feel like somewhere in coppola's mind because he does push the horror so hard in the early part of the movie and in other aspects, I feel like, I feel like he was never entirely on board with the love, love part of it because he was, I mean, I I don't know. That's just speculation. It was really hard to tell what you got the sense that he was angry at somebody and I didn't know who, do you know what I mean? You almost (laughs) felt like it was you, the viewer. Do you know what I mean? Um, Uh And, uh, and, he, and by the end of the thing, he was just talking about how all he wants to do is make movies that he can just throw into a drawer and nobody else will see. So he was really in a dark, dark space, I think, for for a director. Um, it, it happens. But, yeah. It happens. I mean, but, well, I mean, we know that Coppola can get into a very dark place when yeah. he makes movies. So yeah, no, that's not. A, that's what makes a... him so great, though, is the, you know, the oh, darkness. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah. I think the feeling I got, I was listening to the commentary. I was like, I feel like a schmuck for really liking this movie because the director's basically <laughs> almost telling me it's a piece of crap. But I think at the I think at the end of the day, I think he he made this film that uh, was a product of a lot of that inner turmoil that I was hearing on yeah. the director's commentary. But for, it, it, it it's not necessarily like again, you know, you could argue it needs to be more horrifying. I think this time around, I was actually noticing it kind of works in a weird way where. When Dracula is directed at the male characters, it works as a horror movie. It's just that by having him attracted to Mina and having that love story, you're not feeling it in those moments. But you, but you definitely feel his anger towards Jonathan Harker when because they're feuding over Mina. So there are moments where it actually kind of works. But I think in the end, it's not that. It's just a really unusual, surreal version of Dracula that sort of occupies its own category, and it's also. I mean, it, you know, for for all of its flaws or whatever, it is kind of, for me at least, it's like the icon. It's like the the version of Dracula I think of when I think of Dracula, um, which is I think significant because this movie deviates so much from the normal imagery that Dracula, you know, used. Like just in terms of like how Gary Oldman is presented at the start of the movie with the. I don't know even what you call that hairdo, but the the whole look is nothing like any Dracula I had seen up to that point. Um, you know, uh, so so yeah, I don't know. Um, any thoughts on that before we move on to the next uh, next topic? The, the look, the look, the, yeah. the look is iconic and and kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. There's... I, I will. I, yeah. I never call the costume and, and set design and all that like one award. So like yeah, it's yeah. culturally iconic, but it got parodied a lot. So. Uh, yeah, with good totally. reason. His head looks like an ass. Uh, I'll, I'll say it. It's 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 an ass hairdo. Yeah, they, they, I, I think they used to cool. they used to say he looked like Liberace was one of the um that was one of the big you know sort of Liberace barbs. Wore it better. Yeah, but but that was one of the barbs that critics would throw at it when it came out because there is this 
you know, it's it's an ostentatious, very extravagant look, and uh, and he and it, you know, and and up to this point, Dracula was always, you know, black cape, you know, widow's peak, you know, just, you know, just the slick back hair, um, you know, this was different. Uh, but Adam, you were going to say something. I'll say, getting back to Coppola, it's uh, yeah, one thing with his perspective that it's kind of funny. Once again, this one isn't a criticism, just an observation between the book and the movie. You know, it's, and this all comes from my perspective as someone that was raised Church of England. Is that they have the part, the part with the crucifix that Harker has. You know, he's, you know, Dracula comments, oh, you know, such kind of things are not, you know, not, you know, welcome here in this yeah. this region and stuff. You know, that you brought with you, and it's kind of funny because in the book, in the book, the crucifix isn't his it's like a villager gives it to him before he goes to the castle as oh this will keep you safe here you go and his literal mindset like harker's mindset is such a church of england thing that he's like well i don't really approve of this kind of uh, idolatry you know it's like <laughs> but it would be it would be rude to, to not accept this gift so you know it's just, it's just such a a totally british response to it i found it kind of funny that they almost reverse it in the movie, but uh, well, no, someone I don't know. gives it to him in this one too. Uh, when he is leaves that... the first stagecoach, well, he gets it's a gift in this one too. When he oh, leaves is the it? First I missed that. Coat. Yeah, okay. someone gives oh, it to okay. him. And he, okay, and it's hard to parse through the thick non acting of Keanu Reeves, but I think we're supposed to gather he had the same internal reaction <laughs> or he was thinking about pizza. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I just I just found uh, you know, Dracula's commentary on it, but it was kind of funny, but in that in that context, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, just just my my perspective on the uh, because obviously you've got you've kind of got three religions kind of going on here. You've kind of got the Catholicism of Coppola, you got the Orthodox church yeah. thing going on, and then you got the characters being Church of England, so. <laughs> this, this movie feels more Catholic to me, and it's um. That's that's yeah. kind of what I was going with that. Even even like, like yeah. Mina kind of looks a little bit like Mary at times in this movie. I think you know. I think there's a, yeah. there's a little something of that going on. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. One thing I wanted to know about is at the start of the movie, like you have that whole scene with the battlefield and all that, and then all the blood starts pouring towards Mina, and then you see Dracula in his armor, and he it looks like he's seeing the blood come up towards him. And then he says no, and he screams, and we don't see what happens to him. I'm just, I, I'm just curious if you guys have any like, did you ever just wonder what was actually happening to him after that moment? Like, what, do, like, jeez, uh, like, because like that's the moment when he like full on becomes whatever the hell yeah. kind of monster he becomes. So I, I almost feel like it's one of those perfectly timed scream moments where like, and actually I think that intro was maybe the most powerful intro i've ever seen to anything ever like that's exactly how much i wanted from it you know mm -hmm. uh you get this like ridiculous over-the-top violence this unbelievably emotional modeling reactions on the part of everyone and then he stabs a crucifix and there's oceans of blood and he just starts <laughs> shrieking and it's like dracula deal with it yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. the commercial for it I, I think it would have packed every theater on planet earth this the, he's giving cheng che a run for his money with the bloodletting here it's a lot of blood <laughs> it's a lot of blood um but he also he says no too so i've always kind of been curious like why is he saying no dude like why is, is he, he saying no because he's speaking I, 
Some uh, what language? Oh, you know what? Maybe he isn't. I thought he was saying no. Maybe he wasn't, or maybe he was screaming something and it said no below. I always just heard it as an inarticulate yell of okay. terror and anger. Possible. I'm uh, just not hearing or seeing that right, so I don't know. But I, I assumed he was saying no there. Um, but I, I don't know. Either way, it's a uh, you know. I am curious. Like, okay, well. Did he just start like warping into a vampire? Like, did the blood crawl up his body and you know Ugh. start transforming him into it? Like, like how violent of a transformation was this? How what was the birthing process like for becoming Dracula? Because I I like that this movie firmly makes this like a cur- like basically a curse from God or a gift from Satan if you want to look at it from a certain point of view. <laughs> but like one of the two, it's got it's got a real you know deeply uh i don't know like cosmological foundation to it that i think i like i just like how completely unnatural he is too it's like you can't put your finger on exactly what dracula can do in this movie because he just i mean especially in the early part he's just this disturbing presence in just so many ways just how how many little touches they do also add to one thing about this movie I just kind of put in surround sound a couple months ago. And of all the movies we reviewed, this one makes the best use. I mean, when you're in the yeah. castle, there is just stuff skittering all around you all the time. <laughs> and it is, it is the sound design in this movie is amazing. It won an award. The sound design won an award in this. Uh, it was, yeah. it, it, it's not just the music. It's the whole Yeah, our music is part of Th- it. This movie yeah. transports you to another world that's you know way that's rare and it's a combination of the music the sound and the costuming and the sets and all this you know the billowing fog you know the the forced perspective shots that they do just like Mm -hmm. all the interesting techniques which again couldn't do this with cg he actually fired the guy that they or the group that they brought in at first because they were like, well, we can't use all these old-timey techniques without CG. We're going to have to use computers. It's not, and he yeah. just got rid of them and brought in his family. <laughs> <laughs> which, which with Coppola, that either goes one of two ways. Either it works great or it just falls flat on its face. But in this case, it worked really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't know. I, just, I, think that's, uh, I think that's another reason why I love this movie. Because everything is so... It's got such texture to it. It's real. It's not... Mm-hmm. Nothing in it is 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 this like ephemeral computer generated stuff. It's all, it's all tangible. Um, yeah, like the way they, I mean, like in the scene, you know, with uh, where Dracula comes to Mina in the asylum. It's like when he turns from mist to being a human, they just kind of cut away when he changes. Then he's there. Yeah, it's actually star- more startling, I think, in a way than if they just done the CGI. The mist turns into him, kind of effect. That yeah, they I would have been so dated. Yeah, yeah. You're like really dated by now. Yeah, Cle- right. clever cuts, good use of like really creative use of the camera and like forced perspective, and a, a brilliant use of sets. There's a vastness to these sets that is really unusual. Um, yeah, it's stuff like that that makes this movie really haunting. And like, there's so many moments when surprise Dracula is a different kind of a monster that I was like, I, I was so enjoying them this them this viewing. Like whenever he's uh, surprise! He's a bat now, and that say later on that same scene. So that scene, he's he's missed. Then he's Gary Oldman shirtless. Then he's a bat monster. Then he goes into a corner, and oh, he's rats now. Deal with it. <laughs> I love that scene for that. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. So the, yeah, the, <sighs> um, I think I think any movie that bang, like uh, 
uses techniques or special effects when they've been perfected rather than in the early days of them is just bound to not be as dated in its look. And so yeah, ninety two is very early CGI days. So they were they look bad. I will say just a quick aside too. I, I feel good now that I've gotten all my frustrations out. Now I can just do nothing but praise this movie for yep. the whole rest of the podcast. It's like it's out of my system. Well, let's talk about Gary Oldman's performance then, because this is like one of his first yeah. big roles. I know Joel was liked about Gary Oldman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was this is when he got on my radar. I think this is when I was like that actor was you know really unusual. I don't think I've ever seen. Because we didn't, we didn't. I mean, the the closest person to Gary Oldman at this point was um, what's his name from Die Hard, um, very famous guy, and I'm not remembering his name. Bruce Willis? No, not Bruce Willis. No, no, not Bruce Willis. <laughs> Hans Gruber. Who played Hans Gruber? I can't remember his name now, but no, I actually like that guy because he was Snape too. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I should know his name. I feel really bad for not remembering his name. But, Bruce um, Dogma. Uh, I follow his career. I love the. Guy. Yeah, look up his name because I don't want to. I don't. He's dead too, so I don't want to like. Uh, but but he yeah, was like he was one of the, like that, he was the closest thing to a Gary Oldman at that at that point in time because we didn't really have like a real. I, I mean, Gary Oldman anymore. was in Sid and Nancy before this. No, he was. But what I'm saying is, I didn't, I didn't. Uh, when he got on my radar was when I first saw Dracula. I had I hadn't oh, yeah, seen yeah. Sid and Nancy because I it was like you know it's like a. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I um, cannot remember that for the life of me. I love I love that guy. He's in a yeah. lot. Of, he was in a lot of stuff. I enjoy it actually. But uh, but but th- this that was a this was the performance that like put him on the map for me. And I think even if I had seen Sid and Nancy, as good as a performance as that is, it I wouldn't agree. have had the same impact on this. Me, is, this is, yeah, this yeah, is this a is very, very very different performance. performance like like the like the see like there are things he does that would be ridiculous with any other actor. Like the scene with the sword where he takes issue with Jonathan Harker's yeah, like, wow, little that- snicker. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, because yeah. Like, it comes out of nowhere, and like it, he's the kind of personality where you buy that on sort of two levels. You know, you buy it on the level where this is a crazy old man with a sword, but you also buy it on the this dude actually fought in the Crusades. Like, yeah, you know, and he's and he's gesturing with his hands like like it's very operatic, and yeah, <laughs> it's a but like you're you're like you said you're transported. And there's, and there's something, something about, about his, like, like deep, deep register, like, luxurious delivery of this, this thick, nearly comical accent that has this depth to that that's unbelievable. It resonates in your soul. Nah, I love it. Well, the thing about Gary Oldman, too, is he's someone that can do operatic and is just incredibly powerful. And he can just dial stuff all the way back into, like, super subtlety, like, in seconds. And it's like, he just, and he knows when to do what. That's just always an impressive thing about him. Yeah, and I think I, I also think this. I mean, I know that there's also with Gary Oldman. I I believe that he was um at the sort of pinnacle of his alcoholism during this period too. <laughs> yeah, that's and right. I, 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 have I have heard stories about yeah. this movie and that because I know Anthony Hopkins mentioned that he would like be talking to him during the day and he would you know smell it on him. And Hopkins is a recovering alcoholic, so you yeah. know. But well, something bad happened between him and Winona Ryder, too. They were like, yeah, friends for about the yeah. first couple of days on the set. Then something nobody will talk about happened, and she was just utterly uncomfortable. Yeah. Around yeah. Him. And it's usually chalked up to him being like a method actor. Do you know what I mean? But like, no, it's, it's, it's one of these big question marks over the, 
you know, you, well, I heard he was more chalked up to his drinking. Is what the story? Well, that, that's yeah. Yeah. Okay, that that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You like go with it's my method acting. Yeah, yes, that's why I'm behaving this yeah. way. Yeah, I. I I have heard apocryphally that they did kind of like mend that bridge eventually. So. No, that's what they, they said. That's what they yeah, said. yeah, Winona Ryder says she's totally cool with him now. They're good friends. So that's, yeah, but, that is the truth. But the thing that I was going to say is this is a film where I think the alcoholism might have actually aided the performance in a way because there's a there's a drunken, like I said, one of my descriptors of this film is I feel inebriated watching it. Mm. And there is something a little bit, I don't know, something about Gary Oldman's performance I'm not saying he was drunk in the scenes, but there is like he's tapping into that kind of state well, of mind. There's an abandon to it, yeah. you know, yeah. where he is utterly, and it's not even that he's committed to the role so much as that he's hurled himself into the abyss of the role. Yeah, there's, there's a, I don't know, there's just something about it, and I, and, and I, and, and just for the record, I don't drink, so you know, this sense of inebriation I get watching this film is not coming externally from anything; <laughs> it's coming from the movie. Uh, it's probably the closest I ever get to being drunk is listening to this music or watching this film. I'll tell you, I'll tell you as someone that's done acting, I think, I think as far as alcoholism goes, not alcoholism, probably alcohol, not alcoholism, but it's like, there are times when like, just drinking and doing a rehearsal, when you're drunk, and just seeing what comes out of it, it's like, it's a bad idea to do your real performances drunk, because you don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, having like a few drinks before a rehearsal, and getting together with one of the other actors and just, yeah, we're both going to get hammered and do this scene and see what happens. Then you take away the good stuff that came out of that music later. Okay. It yeah, can be helpful. Yeah, because whether it's informing it or whether it's actually driving it, you know, yeah. the, the the effect is poetic to me. It just it just has this 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 look and feel that I, I, I think that he is the thing. I mean, a, a lot of things make this movie work, including the stuff we mentioned, the sound and look, but in terms of performances, I feel like is, is the one that really gives the center of gravity to the movie. Um, well, he's got a lot of screen time too, because there's a lot of fantastic performances. We've commented on some of them, but a comment that I didn't even realize this dude was in the movie, but now that I watch it again, I'm like, oh, wow, he's really in the movie when he is though. Carrie Elways. Carrie yeah. Elways. Oh yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that until this viewing. I, so I was watching it, and I was like, wait a, wait a minute, that's, yeah, I, see, hey, when that's, I, that's Wesley. Yeah, when, <laughs> when I had first seen this, I, I mean, I knew that because The Princess Bride was still very much, you know, yeah, very yeah, popular. Before, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was kind of... The, the scene in, uh, in Nina's tomb, whenever he's getting, like, magically entranced by his now-dead, uh, I guess they weren't even married, but fiancé, wife, whatever you want to call it, his acting in that scene is fantastic. He does like a full range by every moment. It's completely wordless. It's all just facial expressions. And he has like terror and being entranced and then coming out of it and like all of it. It's it's unreal. And I'm just like, how did I never notice that A, Carrie always is in this movie, and B, that's an amazing performance. Oh, what is that whole scene was great. Yeah. With all the stuff going in, I can see how, you know, you would kind of slip past Homewood in this movie. But, uh, but yeah, he does a great job with it. Yeah, I, I think, well, and that's the thing. When you talk about Gary Oldman's performance in this, he's enormous. But he's also in it a lot. And I think that maybe part of that was in the editing room where they're like, okay, Elways is going to suck some energy away from Oldman. Let's, let's, let's nip this down. Because they definitely did that with uh, Jonathan Harper. 
Like they, I think they realized they had a turkey on their hands with his dialogue. Because I was noticing this time he doesn't talk a lot in this movie. It's only lines that you're saying it could have been worse. Yeah, and, and so what we have is the best of what they were able to salvage. These are the gems, and they made sure to cut out what they didn't need. The only part that he's uh, the, the only and they do uh, Van Helsing's narration does a bit. Harker does one piece of narration towards the end, and it's actually done unoffensively enough that on previous viewings I didn't even notice it was him. I was just yeah, like, okay, yeah, I noticed it whatever. So, so yeah, I think a lot of the magic that we're seeing as far as like how big in our minds certain parts of it is is a very, very, very careful editor being like, okay, we we got to make sure we're only getting the gold here. Though I will say, it's the bulk of the story is Mina and Dracula too, so it probably would have had to have taken up a good section of the film. Um, but uh, what did you guys think of uh, Winona Ryder's performance in this? I, I actually got angrier at Keanu Reeves' performance once I realized how good she was. <laughs> that's that's my review. Is like she's she's not she's good. She's really solid, and she can play across from Gary Oldman without me like noticing just how big the gulf is yeah. and like the age and the experience. Keanu can't do that. Keanu yeah, there's so there's there's one scene where where Gary Oldman is reacting to something that Keanu is doing, and I I couldn't help but notice that it's the scene where he's like laughing at him and i was yeah. just like that disparity in acting <laughs> chops is is affecting this scene tremendously um, there, there's a few moments when she is pushing further than her talent and experience allows and but it's it's you only barely see the tip of yeah. it coming across the waves for the most part i think she puts in a solid and and, and more than functional but an eloquent performance so i really really liked her and it upset me that Keanu couldn't just rise to the occasion like she clearly did. <laughs> and and I think also like I, it, it, I how old I was in high school when this came out, so I was probably in love with Winona Ryder when this. Yeah, came out. She's, she's exactly yeah. my age, so yeah. it's like you know Winona Ryder just you know going back to Beetlejuice has like kind of a special place in my heart. So yeah. it's hard for me to be objective. With yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> It's like agreed, I I, but, <laughs> I, but, but trying to be objective about it, I, I think one of the things I notice is her accent is no better necessarily than Keanu's, but the acting seems more genuine. It just works better. Like she, she, uh, I like her in this role, whereas Keanu, yeah. I actively don't really like him in this role. Um, and I almost can't, I can't in this movie, I can't really imagine another person playing the Mina character. Maybe just because I've seen the movie so many times, but I can imagine other people playing Jonathan Harker. So I feel like, you know, doing doing the math too. She was 20 when this movie came out, which means whatever they were filming it, maybe she was even like 19. And it's like, yeah, it's like, she's a little bit out of her depth, but she is really swimming hard and doing a good job of keeping up. And I mean, it's it's like, yeah, of course she's not like able to keep up with Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins at this point. <laughs> but she's yeah, she does she does a very good job. I think it's uh, I it, it's 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 a totally solid performance without a doubt. And yeah, I, and I do agree with Joel. There are those moments where you catch a glimpse of it, not really holding up yeah. or something. But like yeah. overall, it's it's a good performance and she's likable and. It just mm-hmm. kind of, and and it just works. Um, and I think uh, who who played um who played Lucy in this? Well, the other thing too is because before you talk to Lucy, I was gonna say too because yeah, because obviously Winona accent Winona's accent is by no means perfect either. Yeah. It's not, not yeah, it's a not a good accent. accent, but yeah, 
but, but she's in fact, I, stuff underneath it. it, it I, looks okay. Some of her stronger lines are delivered without an accent. I noticed too. Huh. Some, of the, some of the ones where she, where it's just like they, the slips away. Yeah, it slips away, and it actually works better. And I was thinking, you know, if they had just told them, don't even bother with an accent. Accent. That might have been a better choice. Um, it would have yeah. absolutely been a better choice. Although I feel like something I would have been distracted by just how Southern California Keanu Reeves is. Man. Um, Though this movie kind of is about hamming up the accents, I suppose. So I don't know how much of that you can get away with. Like, yeah. like everybody, like Quincy Morris has a real, I don't know who, I don't know where that actor is from, but that's a real heavy accent to me for a Texan. No, it's, it's, it's I know Texans, Texans, man. That's a heavy accent. Yeah. And it, <laughs> it does that seem like an accurate Texas accent to you, or is that no? There, there's yeah. subtleties to the Texan accent that that one's missing. It might be an older school kind of Texas accent, but he, what he's doing is a cowboy impression there. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it sounds like to me. Is he sounds like a cowboy, which I guess Quincy Morris is kind of supposed to be like. Yeah, yeah. you have the thing when people go overseas, they just play stuff up. It's like if you're a Texan in Victorian England, you're gonna be. Super tech. It's like how Benjamin Franklin, when he was able to wear a coonskin cap, just because it's like, yeah, I may be from Philadelphia, but I'm going to be a frontiersman yeah. while I'm in France. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, and, and an effective tactic is if history is accurate. Exactly. Uh, well, we'll not distract this with how much I love Ben Franklin. Um, okay. <laughs> I do I like that Quincy was in this movie. movie. He gets he overlooked a lot, and he's like the only American that's in Dracula, and he gets a rule in it. Uh, he's, he's almost played like a knight errant in the in the novel, and he dies a really super heroic death, and like everyone's talking up what a great gentleman he is, and I was like, ah, cool. There gets to be a cool American that dies fighting a vampire, and he really gets to stick him in this movie, too, which I thought was pretty rad. So, yay, patriotism. Go Quincy. He, he's actually an important character in the book. He often isn't in the movies, and and I, he, to me, when I first read the book, the thing that I found interesting is, oh, there's an American in this story. And yeah, it's always weird. weird. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's sort of like, oh, that's how English people perceived us at the time. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> I, know. I know he's like a stock stereotype, like you know, sidekick almost to an yeah. extent. Yeah, yeah he's. Like, it's weird to be the ethnic minority as an American. Yeah. It's an unusual experience for us, and I kind of love it. <laughs> Well, I like seeing how other people see us. That's the part that I, it's like when I watched when we watch a lot of these Chinese movies or, you know, wherever, you know, you, there's something kind of interesting when you see somebody who's supposed to be an American and, and, and they're playing up both the good and the bad stereotypes of, of you know, what that means. You know, it, it's 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 just kind of a fun experience to see that. Yeah, um, I, I find it charming. Yeah. Um, but uh but yeah, I don't know. Any any other performances to... to oh, we were talking about Lucy, right? We had... Mm. Oh, yeah, we had a Lucy. And Lucy puts in a solid performance, too. What What is her actress? I haven't... I don't remember her in other things, so... I, I, her up, things. I didn't recognize what other movie she's ever been. I think even, like, in the credits, like, in introducing is, like... Uh, oh, wow. Sadie Frost is the woman who plays her. Sadie oh, Frost, yeah. that's right. Yeah, this is probably the most lascivious Lucy that I've ever seen in a movie. Ooh, no, no joke, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. To, to the point of comedy, to the point of comedy, which is, again, gets into some of the tonal stuff Joel was probably talking about. Um, mm. I don't know how you felt about How did you feel about the Lucy co- comedy, the, the sexual innuendo stuff? And, I, well, he, that's the thing. It's, it is totally appropriate if we're immersing ourselves in this world for her to be like this flirtatious and vivacious young thing. She's 19 years old, isn't she? And like, 
no way 19 year old women like you do like okay that seems reasonable and like they're they're not body but they're kind of like bordering on good tastes which which feels very like noble she gets pretty she gets pretty uh pretty over the line i would say for uh uh, I buy it. I buy it because it's like when you actually look at Victorian times pretty closely, there's this whole veneer of respectability, and there's just this whole layer of smut of Victorian underneath. It's like, yeah, I totally buy these women would be like whispering back and forth between each other like that. It's uh, it just it just makes sense to me. That's what it was really like. Well, and also a lot of that stuff seems to be bubbling up because of the repressive culture, sure. right? Like that seems to be the the. Both her and Mina, to different degrees, that seems to be going on. Well, um, and, and going going back to her performance for a minute, like the you, you mentioned the beast mounting scene. I like that scene because it it it's unclear how much of that is mesmerism. Because whenever she gets rescued by Mina at the end of it, she's like an emotional wreck and sobbing, and it's it's believable. Like you don't feel like she's putting on a front there. So like. It's good acting. It's really good acting. And there's a lot of that from her in this. Yeah, one of my, so, one of my favorite lines is when Mina is writing in her diary and she says, Lucy is a pure and virtuous girl. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I, I didn't really yeah. catch that on my earlier reviews this time because it's, it's overlaid with her flirting with three different views. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that's awesome. Well, what's, what's, what I like about the character, the way they do the character in this one is that it, it's all taken from things that are in the book and they just kind of amp it up or they... Or they take reading like like the whole thing with the um the blood transfusions in the books. One reading of that is that you know the, these men have been penetrating Lucy. Like that is the the you know one of the the analyses of that section of the book. Um, and they kind of literalize that analysis with her. Like there, there's, there's the scene where she's she's there's a transfusion scene where she is like orgasming as she's dying. I think you know it's it's. It's very different from it's like like the, the Hammer Studio movies just starting to kind of make Dracula a little bit sexual. And then you get yeah. to here and it's like, whoa, this is. There. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I will say, say you know, with, with the Mina versus Lucy thing, too, I think it's important to address the fact they're different classes, too. It's like yeah. Lucy, Lucy doesn't Lucy is just born with her station. It's like she is there, whereas both Jonathan and Mina are these middle class people. They, yeah. they they have to watch their reputation. Yes. It's like if they have a scandal, they're just like done. Whereas Lucy has has a lot of cushion where she can uh, she can play it up. Well, and and they even mentioned that in the like uh, Mina says that she says you know, yeah. Like, you know, yeah Jonathan kind of frowns at the. I I thought that was interesting. I, I I definitely noticed that more this time. I was like, oh, that kind of explains why she's more doing those kinds of things and i, I think that um actually yeah. i mean well mina she works with children too she's yeah. a school teacher so yeah. it's like she's really gotta watch it <laughs> but, but i will say this like the movie i mean the movie obviously has a lot of like you know it doesn't have a lot of nudity but there's a lot of like sexual stuff in the movie and a lot you know the, mm-hmm. you know between that and the brides but like even my mom who like if a nipple shows up on screen freaks out like my mom is not you know you can't watch a movie with embarrassing moments next to my mom and feel comfortable you'll be very uncomfortable watching any any kind of you know nudity or anything uh in her presence but this movie i remember her commenting how she she saw it and she said you know there was like a lot of sex in this movie and a lot of nudity and a lot of all this but it it kind of all fit the purpose of the movie like it wasn't just there to just be there there was a there seemed to be a reason behind it 
Here's the other thing. I'd say it's like when you're in an art museum and there's a bunch of classical paintings with nudes around you. You don't feel like you've got porn all around you. Yeah. It's like this yeah. movie is like that. It's just got that level of artiness where it's like you are, you are so much of this movie is like looking at a painting that it, yes. uh, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Like even the brides, I think even the bride scene, it's still mm-hmm. shot in such a way that mm-hmm. it's like, you know, and, uh, so so yeah so um now w- there was one interesting line in the movie that I hadn't noticed before I don't know why I hadn't noticed this line but uh but Gary Oldman says absinthe is the aphrodisiac of the self and oh, I was just aphrodisiac of the soul maybe he did I thought he said soul I heard soul myself soul would make more sense maybe I misheard I, I clearly might have misheard the no so if you guys are outvoting me for the purpose of this discussion let's go with soul but <laughs> okay. but whichever one it is. The aphrodisiac of the soul. It's kind of an odd phrase. I did think it was an odd phrase because it's like, I mean, aphrodisiacs and I, I don't know. It's uh, Yeah, because yeah, whether it's the self know. or the soul, that's an odd thing to ha- apply an aphrodisiac to. Like, what is he? What is he? I don't know what he's talking about. And also, I should say this is probably at the the absinthe now. I think it's it's legalized again, right? Like like we, we people can actually buy absinthe now. But in the 90s, we weren't we weren't allowed to buy absinthe, right? So it, it had this magical mystery, mystery substance. Yeah, and and there was a lot of like mystique around it, and a lot of like <laughs> urban legend around it, and it was just sort of a it was a it was associated with 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 um, hallucinating, and you know, be, it, the people thought of it as like a, a, an alcohol that was like LSD in its effect. Um, yeah. And well, I, in reality, it's just a cheap alcohol that sucks. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's my understanding as well. <laughs> But for, but this movie play uh, plays into that idea. So when he yeah. says the aphrodisiac of the soul, maybe he's saying it like liberates the soul or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think this movie enhanced that so much too. I mean, I can react to this movie so I'm like, oh, I really want to try absinthe. I can just remember that at the well, time. And I remember the next movie I think that I saw that referenced absinthe was um, oh god, what's that movie with Owen McGregor? The um, uh. The musical film that like oh oh yeah i know what you're talking about uh, yeah it's in that one too um the baz lorman movie yeah yeah what is that called my wife oh, loves this movie Rouge. i have to watch it every Rouge. year Moulin yeah. rouge thank you i was yeah. drug kicking and screaming my, my, my significant other always loves this movie like whoever whoever you know whoever I that happens to be in my life it, so. uh, you haven't yeah, seen Moulin rouge? we'll have to review it next week well oh, well yeah. <laughs> Uh, we are going to find a way to make Adam watch Moulin Rouge because I have had to watch that movie about thirty times. No, um, no, I agree. That's the without you having to watch it. That's the that's the mental puzzle you have to make me watch Moulin Rouge one more time. I swear to God, I'm going to make me review Inland Empire. Don't don't test me on this. <laughs> I actually kind of want to watch that. So I, uh, well, I own it, so I'll send you the one copy that I know actually exists, which I stole but, from a blockbuster accidentally. But the point the point I was trying to make. Was that by the time Moulin Rouge came out, I think you're right that this started the ball rolling that kind of built it up to this. Because but because when they mentions it in Moulin Rouge, it's like my first time trying absinthe, and everybody's yeah. supposed yeah. to know what he's talking about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. now this is when it entered mainstream American consciousness. Yeah. As they, uh, as, as I can see why. Era. I mean, oh I, yeah, it's a great scene. And great also, scene. like I said, I uh, like the the. The state this movie takes me to is inebriation, so that that scene feels important to the overall mood of the movie. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the soundtrack and a lot of the 
I don't know, just the the, sur- the surreal nature of the film, it all kind of crystallizes around that scene for me. Um, yeah. And that's also where the love story culminates and everything. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, one thing I also noticed, I don't know if this is important, but Mina introduces herself to Dracula as Wilhelmina, and then mm-hmm. he calls her Mina. After yeah, immediately. Immediately. Uh, um, now, he knows that as a character because Jonathan called her Mina. But that was just a detail I had never really picked up on. In right, it's unlikely like that someone, someone from Transylvania would immediately know to truncate the name in that particular <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. You know, so it's, it really is a telling moment. And I, I wonder if we were meant to notice it in that way, where she kind of as a character isn't, you know. I think so. I think that was the point of it. I think that's why they did it. Because he would have otherwise just said, you know, greetings, Wilhelmina. It wouldn't, you know. Yeah. But he says, greetings, Mina. So it's like he right. knows more than she knows. That's and such an interesting scene, too, because, like, it's it's a genuinely acted scene, and it, the dialogue is really unbelievable, because, like, they, they run in, like, Dracula's got the invincible social barrier of England to get past, you know, and he is just charismatic enough and just polite enough and just foreign enough that he's able to worm his way in the one crack he finds, and this after that, it's all downhill. But, like, I love that scene because, like, that social awkwardness is so palpable and real. And the way society, like, stratifies and separates people in that time period is very concrete there. And I love that scene for that. What did you think about the way that they... That's, remember when they first introduced him in that scene? He shot in, like, an old-timey camera. They did it a couple times. Yeah, that sort of, like, uh, silent film. Yeah. Kind of like the clattery way of doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that because they're getting you in the mind state with the dialogue overlay about, uh, like, old-timey cinema being this wonder of the world. And so you're more aware of the medium while you're looking at that. And it, it's, it's sort of... In a way, the artificiality more genuinely transports you into that time. I felt so. like that was, that was awesome. In a good way, I felt it was a moment where, where Coppola, as a student of film, is just like, I really want to put this in there. I mean, it, it works great. It's just him, just his, just his understanding of the history of the craft kind of bleeding out and bleeding for a moment. And I, I feel like when he's doing all these different techniques like this, it, it, it somehow matches the book, which is like a cobbled together. Mm-hmm. you know from different types of media like you have the wax cylinder recording you have the diary mm-hmm. entries you have the newspaper Captain entries yeah. yeah yeah and and you're right because they actually show people writing in diaries and typing yeah. things out and they show yeah. them, oh that's great i never realized that so yeah. it's still surprising to me most of those times people are writing something out. Those are the points where they're literally quoting the book, too. Yeah. See those cases. Yeah, like I think is the Van Helsing, isn't that a line for line? It's been about 10 years I since I read it. I'm not sure but I recognize the line. There's an even deeper dimension to this because this movie itself is kind of a hodgepodge of the different versions of Dracula that exist, including <laughs> yeah. the book and the other versions. Oh yeah. my God. Wow. Wow. Okay. So brilliant. But the. If you view it as a hodgepodge stitched together from other versions, you've completely eliminated all my complaints about the movie, though. So I, I, I can't accept that. So, the, the, now you have to accept the movie. <laughs> so, um, so I guess you know we're getting towards the end here. We've been going for an hour and ten minutes. Um, I could talk about this movie for another hour. Now, I did want to talk about the 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 idea I had at the beginning again because I know this this did strike me that. What I was thinking this time watching it is that in the end, 
that moment where Anthony Hopkins sort of realizes that they're fanatics um, mm-hmm. is kind of the thing that rectifies the original sin at the start of the movie that brings it, you know, like they feel like the start of the movie, there's this, uh, the priest almost has like a lot, there's like a lack of compassion maybe mm-hmm. in the start of the movie, mm-hmm. the lack of mercy. Mm-hmm. And then in the end of the movie, there's this mercy around it where, um, you know, because that ending used to always puzzle me until I really started seeing them as okay. It really connects with that opening scene. That is the. Um, you know, that's it. Yeah. Hmm. No, I, I agree with you, and I saw that in this one too. Because, and I, I brought up where it's like kind of puzzling how Dracula gets redeemed at the end of this. Like, fucking, why would he? But here's the thing, in in Catholicism especially, yeah. the play up that you cannot redeem yourself. It's not how it works. You yeah. can only be redeemed by the grace of God. And so at the end of this, when he's lying back on the floor where he's originally committed that sin against God, he's like kind of giving himself over to that grace. And you can even see like the, the crucifix like healing itself. And then Mina's like, I, I'm the guy that's got to do this. You know, I, I'm or the girl in this case. I've got to be the person to redeem him. Um, so, and I buy it on that level, you know? Well, and also, like, in the beginning of the movie, he renounces God. So it's like that It's that ties perfectly to what, what you're saying. And like I said before, there's, there's a, I have this suspicion that Mina is really being made to look an awful lot like the Virgin Mary in, that, in those kinds of scenes. I mean, maybe it's just my image of the Virgin Mary. I don't know. But I feel like, you know, she really has, like, a, a similarity to her. Um, yeah, I, I guess if we were taking it as, as you know, his acceptance, I mean, you know, he basically does his, his sin at the beginning and turns against God because his love's been taken away from him. But essentially, he's been shown the universe is totally going to bring her back to you. So it's I mean, if we're taking it only from, you know, his acceptance of God is the redemptive thing. It does. It does kind of make sense with him going, OK, you know, I thought. You know, that maybe, maybe, maybe there is a, a big plan here, and I should trust in God. So, well, and, uh, well, and the thing to keep in mind too is the reason he—it's not just that he she dies that sends him off; it's that the priest says she committed suicide. She's condemned to hell. Yeah. Oh, and so, sure, sure. and so, I feel like that's why Anthony Hopkins' character is so important at the end because of his. You know, he's the one leading. He, I mean, it's almost like he and this priest have been fighting for centuries. Is the effect that you get? Do you know what I mean? And and now the now the priest realizes, like, okay, you know, the, the, you know, the, yeah, I can show mercy to this monster. That there, the, yeah, and and uh, it, I don't know, and I haven't really quite clarified my thoughts on it, but I just I I think that that's an interesting. Uh, it's it's interesting, especially when you think of like you know, Coppola does often have these religious strain you know strains to the movies and so yeah yeah um, but yeah i don't know i I just uh um because again that 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 we've all become god's madmen that line used to irritate me for some reason something about that line always seemed forced to me until this viewing um or not forced but like like it was tacked on like a um like we need to make some kind of commentary. Do you know what I mean? Like that sort of. Yeah, thing. I can see that. No, yeah. and well, I think whenever he's seeing Quincy die and he's seeing all the carnage around him, he's like, "We're doing this for God, really?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it made total sense this time. Carry on that, that crusade because in the beginning, when the Turks are getting impaled 
that's a horrifically violent scene. Yeah. You know? And then and Dracula is completely conscious free to sit up and get to his scene. He's like, oh, praise God, I'm victorious. Go, God, let's stab people. So I think this is in a way kind of like maybe thinking about the church in ways that aren't quite so black and white. Because at the end of the movie, they have this this more nuanced viewer. It's like, well, maybe killing people for God isn't going to be isn't the right thing to do and you know maybe condemning people to hell because they have one moment of weakness isn't yeah. the right thing to do yeah that that was that was sort of where i and again i mean i you know i think part of it too is the first time i saw the movie i i i wouldn't have caught that that um Anthony Hopkins was also playing the priest it probably wasn't until much later i never caught it you guys have to point that out to me yeah. I, I only caught it last night when I watched it. I actually, I don't, I don't remember that, noticing that at all when I saw it in the theater originally. And that radically, I feel like that radically changes mm-hmm. the film in a way because again, the, the the three characters that are repeated through the thing are Dracula, Mina, and Van Helsing. They're the, the I mean, in terms of the actors playing the characters, and, um, so that it feels like they're all karmically linked for you know lack of a you know term mm-hmm. to use here. Um, I know it quite, yeah. quite doesn't quite apply because it's not like that type of, you know, reincarnation, I don't think. Um, and, and again, I, I, I strongly question whether they're not in hell and that that's what's going on or in purgatory or in something, you know. But, um, you know, it, 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 there's definitely like a layer that this film is operating on that I think is a lot deeper than the um, than the love story and the horror. Um, but but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Any any other thoughts on the. We didn't even talk about the music enough. I feel. I feel like the music. The we didn't music, talk about anything enough. Well, like, no, really. but the music. That music. I love that music so much. I bought the soundtrack and then I learned the music on guitar. That was how much of an impact. And 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 you can hear that music. That's not guitar music. That's very strange music to learn how to play on the guitar. You can't. You know. You can't just. You know. Well, you can't just pound it out as a riff. It's a. Uh, uh, it, you know, it informed a lot of stuff because, like, I remember hearing uh, the score for the uh, Castlevania games that uh, Konami, I believe, did, and those are all clearly inspired. All the ones that came after Bram Stoker's Dracula are clearly inspired by the score from Bram Stoker's Dracula. And I feel like I feel like this might have been inspired by Rachmaninoff. Like, I think was it like mm-hmm. Isle of the Dead. I'm thinking of like I feel like that has some stuff that might have. But either way, this was just. He, my understanding is what happened was they commissioned the, the music and he only gave them a small segment of music. And they basically had to extend that and use it. for Like they had to do a lot of work to mm-hmm. fill out the whole movie because they didn't have enough music. And what ter- what I think started out as a problem for the movie became one of its strongest points because rather, if, if the guy had scored the whole film, you would have had a lot of moments that had weaker music that was just operating as background sound. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But instead we get like a greatest, like, like really solid melodies and really solid chunks of music that are peppered throughout the movie. So it, just, it has to use all of these really strong pieces of music. And I think that is one of the things that makes the movie work. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just, I mean, there's just, if, if people don't believe me, play, find the soundtrack online and look up, either the love song on there, not not love song for a vampire or whatever one Lenny, Annie Lennox did, yeah. but the, the love theme, or look up the Mina and Dracula track and listen to it. And if if you have a soul, it'll make you feel drunk. Do you know what I mean? It'll, it'll give you that sense of inebriation that I think is prevalent for the movie. 
Um, yeah, there, there's, there's something, something so powerfully sensuous and almost forbidden about the music that you hear in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's almost like you're falling into that vampire spell. It's it's really mesmeric, people. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just it is mesmeric. But yeah, it, it is perfect too for the just for the style of the movie. I mean, just the perfect match of the look of the movie and the music. It just goes together. Yeah. But yeah, the, you brought up the Annie Lennox thing. That's I mentioned earlier how absolutely 1992 this movie was. I think that was like the height of her solo career was going yeah. too. And that came up at the end. I was like, oh yeah. Personally, it's not in the it's not in the actual movie, which I think is a very good thing. I think if it was in the movie, then it would have really no, it would not yeah. work in the movie at all. Yeah, I think I think you even get like some maybe a little bit of score and then this plays or something at the end. I forget. I have to say, I used to hate that song because I loved the soundtrack, and I used to I used to play it during my game sessions. I would just listen to the song, <laughs> and whenever that song came on, I would just like freak out because it just something it yeah. just was so dis, yeah. dis, disconnected from all the music that preceded it. I, just, I, used to, I used to listen to a lot of soundtracks back in the day, and it is funny how you'd always have that one like pop song on the end of the soundtrack that you'd be listening to your soundtrack, and that song would come on. You're like, ah, you're totally killing my mood. And sometimes I don't mind it. Like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon did that. They had a pop song at the end, and I think it's both in Mandarin and in English at the end. But it yeah. kind, of, but it's based on the same melodies that the soundtrack is based on, so yeah. it works. But this is like it's got nothing to do with all that music that you heard, and that music was so distinct that, like you know, all they had to do was take that love theme and turn it into a pop song. And I don't know, maybe it is in there, and I'm just not hearing it, but I. I'd be really surprised if any of them. You've got a good enough here. I think that's unlikely. No, but if they did enough to change the rhythm or something, it could, it could, you know, it could surprise me. Um, but still, yeah. That again, I think this is possibly the best movie soundtrack ever written. I mean, uh, you know, I know that that's going to make a lot of people question <laughs> my sanity because there's a lot of other very great movie soundtracks, mm-hmm. but this one had such a profound effect on me that I, uh, you know, I. I I, I really can't praise the music enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if any if any Ennio Morricone fans want to strike me down, they certainly can. <laughs> I, I think it's a fair favorite. I mean, yeah, I can understand where you're coming from on it. It doesn't, it's it's not my, I, I don't even know what my favorite soundtrack is. It's probably not this, but I can totally respect it. Can you give me a ballpark of what you might think your favorite soundtrack Because it's a hard thing to call. It's not like It, it is. Honestly, I, I'm not good at picking absolute favorites of anything. I mean, that is, that is, I don't know if it's yeah. strength or weakness, but I, I, if you ask me what my favorite X is, I'm always like, well, I like this, but there's this. I don't know that people think that categorically in real life. I think in reality, we are mood-based. And so yeah. if I'm in the mood for Dracula, nothing else is going to scratch that itch. But sometimes I am in the mood for K-pop. That's what I listen I'm, to. I'm very skeptical of top 10 lists and stuff like that. Yeah. The only reason that I yeah. sort of definitively say this is my favorite is because it's been such a presence throughout my life. Sure. And it's like, you know, so that's, I think, I think that's why um, this particular soundtrack, it's sort of like, okay, this one, I... I this is definitely one that I rate up there with stuff like, um, uh, you know, um, ecstasy, ecstasy of gold and things like that. Like it's yeah. just, you know, that that level of uh, of uh, of power in, in 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 music that was made for a film. Um, so so yeah. So I don't know. Any any parting thoughts beyond that? Gary Oldman, if you're listening to this, I love you. 
<laughs> I, I doubt Gary Oldman has made it this far, but you know, you can uh, we can see I, if we I, can I, reach him. Yeah, I, I like imagining the full vampire guard, you know, with, with the, the butt head hairdo, and he's like just putting down this phonograph needle on this inexplicable vitriolo he has with this podcast, and being like, "Play the game." So I, I think I think it's beyond doubt that he he's listening. It's just a question of whether he's made it this far, but. Yeah. Then, <laughs> But apparently he was not a, um, this is like, he, he took the role because he liked the idea of working for Coppola, but it, it's, I don't think it's a role that he's particularly uh, attached to or fond of. I could be wrong. Um, so so the, the fantasy that he's dressed up as Dracula is probably not the reality. But, uh, <laughs> but don't we can, my dreams, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I don't think I can I can top a declaration of true love, so I, I will have no, no closing thoughts this time. All right, all right. Well, uh, <laughs> this movie is beyond thought. It is it is a movie of the heart. Yes. All right, so, so with that, we'll end the episode, and we're going to venture forth into much more schlocky waters next time. I believe uh, Layer of the White Worm is uh, is what we're doing next. Also, oh, yeah. I, I I have a request from a friend who wants us to um, consider displacing one of our upcoming movies with puppet master um Ooh, he, he, he was saying that he didn't think our list was schlocky enough and he wanted us to con- contemplate the possibility of uh, throwing puppet master i will admit it's difficult to resist the allure of puppet master but uh, but anyways we will, uh, we will head out and we'll definitely be back there but i don't know what's going to come out we have a list of schlocky movies that is it that is the point. Thank you.